All right, good evening, gang. Tonight we'll be in Genesis 32, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. And while you're doing that, I'm going to pray. Lord, we thank you for um, everything. Your word tells us to give thanks for everything, for this is your will for us in Christ Jesus. We'll grow by these things and become better, and you'll use these things in our lives. And so, Lord, we thank you for this great opportunity to switch things up a little bit to be at home with our loved ones, to spend more time together, but also still be able to gather electronically to uh, worship you in spirit and truth together as a family, but um, not in the same room. And we just love the fact that you've worked that out. So Lord, we thank you for that. And Lord, we pray um, that you would just be with us the rest of this night. Help your word to speak to our hearts by your Holy Spirit. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, chapter 32. Esau and Jacob are going to meet. Um, interesting stuff is Jacob has uh, burnt a bridge with his uh, in-law Laban, and we talked about that a little bit last week. And now he's on his way to face a different problem, which is often how it is. Uh, we put one problem in the rearview mirror, but God seems to hedge us in sometimes with a different problem. Either way, we got to face him. And so in verse 1, it starts off, So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. And he called the name of the place Mehenaim. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Speak thus to my lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dealt, or I have dwelt with Laban, and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, and male and female servants. And I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. Two things there. The first one is Jacob runs into an interesting camp. A camp of the angels, he calls it. Um, he was camping out, but for some reason he was able to see the camp of angels around him. And this is pretty rare for Scripture. We don't see this too often. There's only one other passage that I could think of. That's 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 15 through 17. And it's Elisha. Uh, and they're in a city and it's been surrounded. And um, his servant that's with him is concerned. Let me read it to you. And when the servants of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he, Elisha, answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The spiritual warfare that we're in and amongst and is going on in a battle all around us is something we don't see. And I'm kind of glad, to be honest with you. I, don't, I, I would be a little distracted for the most part. But there are times when it is very beneficial to either remind ourselves that that spiritual warfare is going on all around us. And maybe at times, as we see a couple times in Scripture, to be able to actually see it. Now, I've never seen it. And I guess I'm glad. But God saw fit to show Jacob this. 
Just a little blurb here, just a couple verses where Jacob's walking on his way and he sees this camp of angels. And God wanted him to know that. God's been very much showing himself to Jacob, whether that was the ladder. Remember the ladder, Jacob's ladder? The angels were ascending and descending upon it. And he, God was trying to encourage him. God's letting him see a lot of things, things you can't unsee. Those are things you kind of hold on to in your walk with Jesus, things that miraculous things that happened to you while you were uh, maybe in a low point in your life and God spoke to you or stepped in and you saw a miraculous thing happen, a word uh, from God or something jumped off the page at you, you know, as you're reading God's word. And those things you hold on to because it's like no one else, it wasn't for anybody else. You really can't explain it to everybody else. And when you do try to explain it to other people, they kind of look at you like, yeah, that's great. Mm -hmm. It's just meant for you. And Jacob gets another one of those moments here where he is thinking about it. I've just built a rock and poured oil on it, a pile of rocks, and put some distance between my in-law Laban and all of his flocks and my flocks. And he says, I can't go back there or it's war. And now I really only have one other place to go to, and that's back home to Esau. Now Esau, well, Esau's mad at him as far as he's concerned. Last time he spoke with Esau, Esau was going to kill him. And his mom said, Jacob, you need to get out of here because your brother wants to kill you. And he's heading back to deal with that. It's been 20 years, 20 years since that conversation. In fact, at one point, Rachel, his mom said, hey, Jacob, let's, let's get you out of here. And when things cool off, I'll send for you. Well, it's been 20 years and he hasn't been sent for. So, as far as Jacob's concerned, this has been simmering. Anyway, Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, probably trying to, you know, change his mind a little bit. Not sure where he stands. Feel him out. Maybe, maybe even bribe him a little bit, which is a little bit of what's going to happen here in the next few verses. Now, he sends ambassadors. He sends some servants to speak on his behalf. And that's a whole other issue. You know what you want to say to people, but if you can't be there and you're going to send somebody else, you best make sure they understand your heart on the matter. You best make sure that they understand. And so the first thing Jacob says to these servants to say to Esau is say, my Lord, Esau. He's letting his servants know at the same time, I'm putting myself under my brother Esau. So when you go, make sure you put yourself under his authority. We're not going to have a confrontation here. I want you to understand that. I want you to act this way towards him. Now, who knows how Jacob has spoken about his brother in the past, maybe never thinking he'd have to go back here. Maybe the servants have heard him over, you know, overheard him talking about Esau and that crazy wild redheaded guy, you know, my old brother who wanted to kill me and that's why I'm here. And who knows how many times he's told that story. But now that we're heading back, he wants to make sure his servants know I'm not coming back with that same boisterous, arrogant attitude. I'm coming back as a servant of my brother. And so he has to make sure that they represent him correctly. So he gives them some specific terms to use. My Lord Esau, your servant Jacob says this. I've got a lot of stuff. I'm not coming back to get anything. I haven't left and lost all my fortune, and I'm trying to worm my way back into that birthright. Remember that birthright that he sold. Esau sold it to him. I'm not coming back for that. I've, I've done fine on my own. I'm coming back with a lot of stuff. No need to worry. That's kind of the idea here. I'm not coming back to take your things. 
So verse 6, then messengers returned to Jacob saying, we come to your brother Esau and he also is coming to meet you with 400 men are with him. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed and he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. And he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company, which is left, will escape. Jacob's coming up as he normally does with a contingency plan. Just in case God doesn't do what he said he's going to do, I'm going to divide. And that way, if they attack here, I've still got a whole half left over. You know, a diversified portfolio, we might say. Some of you wish you had done before the coronavirus hit. He's diversifying. He's hedging his bets. And that's just what Jacob does. Jacob is who he is. He's a very fleshy guy. God is working on him to build a relationship with him. He's trying to get him to trust in him and know him. God is revealing himself more to Jacob than he has in most of the other people we've read so far in Genesis. He's really laying it out for him. He's really rolling out the red carpet for Jacob and to be honest with you, some, sometimes you read and you're like, why? You know, why is this Jacob so important? But he does. And that's God's heart. And that's one of those things as a servant of the Lord, since I've become a born again believer and I've trusted in God and I said, I'm going to serve you. I've really got to see people the way God sees people. I don't get to come to them the way I'd like to come to them. As a servant of God, I've got to listen to what my master says. And if he wants to come in a humble way to somebody who I don't think deserves humility from God, if I don't think they deserve to have their feet washed by Jesus, I have to be careful that I don't bleed through in the message, that my attitude doesn't taint God's message. We can do that sometimes as Christians. I can, anyway. I know the gospel. I know it's supposed to be good news. But somehow or another, I'm able to share the good news in such a way that people don't feel good about it. And that's me. That's not him. And that's not the Holy Spirit. Anyways, messengers come back and say, hey, we, we sold him everything you wanted to, wanted to tell him. We told him exactly word for word. And he's, he's coming to meet you with 400 guys. Now, I smile because I've read chapter 33, and I know why he has 400 guys with him, but Jacob doesn't know why he has 400 guys with him. Jacob thinks there's 400 guys coming out. Now, remember where Jacob's coming from. Jacob just had a confrontation with Laban. Laban came with a bunch of guys, a militia of sorts, and they weren't out there to do good deeds for him. They weren't coming as a security force to protect him or to... Uh, give them a big going away party. They were going to attack. And if God had not intervened through a dream in Laban's life, that's what was going to happen. And so Jacob's a little defensive right now. And God knows that. And only God knows that. Again, when I minister to somebody for the first time, God's sent me to them or he's put them in my path. I have to remember, I don't know where they've come from yesterday, the day before, last year. I don't know what season of life they're in. All I know is I'm supposed to share the message with them. They may have come just off of a battle with somebody else. And so they're very defensive when they come to me. I don't take that personally. I just have to be the ambassador that God wants me to be. 
I was sitting over here waiting and everybody's getting ready and there's a lot of stuff going behind the scenes with the camera and the, the computers and all that. And I get more nervous about looking at this tiny little screen in front of me, this little lens, than I do a place full of people. I do better with all the people here. There's nobody here, by the way, except for a few good servants. And so I get super nervous and I'm sitting there going, how do I get rid of this nervousness? I, just like you do in a in a sports meet or something like that, trying to get rid of the butterflies in your stomach. Somebody punched me in the stomach and make this go away. And, and then I got to thinking this whole message about trusting God regardless of the circumstances, and I just had to let it be. I just had to let it be. I had to be nervous. I just have to come up here with the butterflies in my stomach, with the, not anxiety, I don't have anxiety, but just the, there's just nervousness, you know? But you just get up and do it anyway. It doesn't make any difference how you feel. You just go do it regardless. And so Jacob is in that place and God knows that about him. And he becomes greatly afraid and God sees that he's greatly afraid. But he's trying to produce something in Jacob. Jacob's hedged his bets, but he's still greatly afraid. And so here's what Jacob does next. Then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your family and I will deal with, I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him lest he come and attack me and the mother with children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. It's a good prayer. You notice how he's mixed in something that you understand. He doesn't have scripture like we have scripture, but when he prays, he throws in there what he knows God said to him. I think that's what makes our prayers far more effective is when we add God's word to it instead of just our words. Oh God, I'm not so sure about my salvation today. I'm feeling kind of fleshy. I'm not sure where I stand. There's a little bit of nervousness. But your word says, and then pray those scriptures. It's amazing how when you pray God's scripture, how it makes you feel better. How it ministers to you, even while you're praying it. Jacob wants to remind God, remember how you told me I'm supposed to go back, how I came across this Jordan with just a staff running from Esau, and now I'm coming back the other way across the Jordan with a whole bunch of stuff? Remember you said you were going to make my descendants as the sand of the sea? I hope that's still true. I hope that still comes to pass. Please let it come to pass. It's a real honest prayer. Our prayers need to be very blunt when it comes to God. When I'm talking to people... I'll use tact. I'll be very careful what I, well, for the most part. I'm not a very tactful guy, but I can be if I need to be. Try to use tact when you talk to me. When I talk to God, it's raw. I mean, I'm respectful because I know who he is and I have a love for him and I have a relationship with him. By all means, I, I definitely exalt him, but I don't mince any words with him. I don't try to hide. I let him know exactly what I'm thinking. I, it isn't about my flowery way in which I request something. Yeah, I know he's looking at my heart. I know he sees right through me. So when I pray, this is the kind of prayer I pray. God, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm not just a little worried about this next situation. I'm 
terrified of what's going to happen next. You know, I pray with raw emotion, with, uh, with all that I have, and, and God's always been faithful to not run away from me when I pray that way. He always comes to me. In fact, I think that's the best way and the only way he can minister to us is when we're absolutely open and honest with him about things. And so Jacob does that here. It's beautiful. It's nice. Now, um, in verse 13, so he lodged there that same night after the prayer and took what came to his hand as to present for Esau, as a present for Esau, his brother, 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milk camels and their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 foals. Then he delivered them to the hand of his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, pass over before me and put some distance between successive droves. And he commanded the first one saying, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you saying, to whom do you belong and where, do you, where are you going? Whose are these in front of you? Then you shall say, they're your servant Jacob's. It is a present sent to my Lord Esau. And behold, he also is behind us. So he commanded the second and the third, all who followed and drove saying, in this manner, you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And also say, behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. And afterward, I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present went on before him or went over before him. But he himself lodged that night in the camp. And he's by himself finally. So Jacob's got this set up to where he's going to send him a gift and they're going to say what they say, and, and they're going to run into that 400 foot soldiers is what he thinks they are, probably are. And then he sends another wave and another wave, and he, he's hoping to just kind of soften, soften Esau. Now, what, what's the problem with Esau and Jacob? I think this is important for us. The problem with Esau and Jacob is that Jacob is a deceiver. It's not necessarily what he took from Esau. It's that Jacob is a deceiver. He's got a character flaw, and that's what bothers Esau. Sometimes we can try to make it right with people by buying them, by giving them things. For example, suppose you got in an argument with your wife, and I'm going to pick on the guys tonight because that's a, that's a safe fight. Suppose you got in a fight with your wife and you, and you said some things, or you promised you were going to do something, and you didn't do it, and you realize that you're wrong, and on the way home from work, you go and pick up a bouquet of flowers, which is not a bad idea, but the problem isn't going to go away with the flowers. See, I bought you flowers. That makes it right. No, the problem is you have a character flaw. You have a problem. You were deceptive or you lied or you did whatever. You need to make that right. She doesn't need flowers. She wants your heart. She wants your honesty. She wants that character flaw to change. She's more concerned about that, not the wrong, but what the wrong showed about you. And that's what Jacob doesn't understand here. He thinks if I give goats and sheep and donkeys and stuff and give him back all that stuff I stole from him, that helps. I mean, he really didn't leave with anything, but that helps. 
But the bigger issue is here, I need to apologize. I need to repent of my sin against you, Esau. I need to not be tricky anymore or a deceiver anymore, a heel catcher. I need to stop selling stuff or bribing stuff. And I got to stop figuring and trying to manipulate. That's Jacob's problem. But he thinks this is going to help. Maybe he'll accept me. Now, he's just prayed this wonderful prayer. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, remember, remember, remember. And he, he lays that all out there, but he's going to hedge his bet again in case God doesn't answer that prayer in the affirmative. I'm going to send these waves. And when he says this, I will appease him with, present, with the present that goes before me. And afterward, I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. In other words, perhaps he won't. Jacob doesn't know. Jacob doesn't have confidence in what God said. He reminds God of what he said, but he's still trying to figure out if God is truly going to be a faithful God to him. And I'm going to give Jacob some grace here because I know where I feel about these things and how I go about these things in my own walk with the Lord. It's not that God is an unfaithful God or that he's a tricky God or that he's like, all the other little G gods out there that demand more from me and may not fulfill his part of the bargain. I know who God is. I always question whether I've done something wrong to mess that up. Have I done something in, in such a way that he, he can't answer my prayer? Uh, maybe I've blown it in some way that's irreversible. And so that's where Jacob's probably coming from more than any other place is that I'm not so sure. I don't know where I stand. I know who I am. I don't deserve mercies. I don't deserve truths. I don't deserve to see angels or ladders. I don't deserve all these flocks. I know it had nothing to do with me. I don't deserve these wonderful 11 kids. 12 with Dinah. So in case I've done something irreversible, I'm going to try to do my best to make things right in the flesh by giving these gifts. Maybe I'll appease him, he says. It says in Hosea chapter 12, verse 3 through 5, verses 3 through 5, he took his brother by the heel in the womb, Jacob, and in his strength he struggled with God. Yes, he struggled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and he sought favor from him. He found him in Bethel and there he spoke to us, that is, The Lord God of hosts, the Lord is his memorable name. Jacob is in the middle of one of his biggest struggles. He is having to go back and face something he never thought he would have to face. I'm convinced he thought he'd spend the next 40 years with Laban or somewhere around there anyway, never thinking he'd have to run into Esau again. Do you have any problems that you put in the rearview mirror for so long? Things you know you should have gotten right? But they're 20 years ago. Why open that can again? Let's just let let's just let sleeping dogs lie, is what we'd say, right? Well, this sleeping dog's been lying for a long time. And Jacob knows he's about to go poke a bear. I know I'm mixing my metaphors, but here it comes. Jacob's nervous. He's all by himself. Wives and kids are ahead. Gifts are ahead. He's in the rear. Where should Jacob be? The real problem was Jacob. Jacob should be in the front. I offer myself to you. I give you, Esau, exactly what you've wanted your whole life. Here's my neck. 
Do whatever you need to do to me because I was wrong and you were right. I've been a trickster my whole life, a deceiver my whole life. You didn't deserve that, but that's what you got. And so I'm trying to make things right by giving you my neck. Take it. And instead he's in the rear, hoping that he's going to live through this. He's not sacrificing everybody in front of him necessarily, but he's certainly not bringing the problem to the forefront. He's working his way, working his magic that he does by being deceptive and manipulative. And so that's what he's trying to do. So he's by himself and God sees that he's by himself. The noise, all the preparations, all the planning, all the waves of gifts have now gone and it's just him and his rocks again and the Lord and that beautiful sky. So verse 22, and he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. Jacob wrestles with Jesus. This is Jesus in the Old Testament, if you didn't see this. When God ever shows up, whenever he shows up in the Old Testament as a person, it's Jesus in the Old Testament. And so we see Jesus showing up here, and that's why the word man is capitalized. Jacob's by himself and begins to wrestle. God is trying to wrestle Jacob. He's trying to get him to a place of surrender. Pin him. Get both shoulder blades down. Tap that mat three times trying to get Jacob to surrender his whole life, but Jacob will not give up. Jacob will not surrender to God. He will not let him prevail. He wrestles. Now, I don't know, I don't know if Jesus is wrestling with one arm tying behind his back or what, because we really know there probably shouldn't be a problem in this match, but there is. And he wrestles and he wrestles and he wrestles until he realizes this guy's not going to give up. So he touches his socket and puts his hip out of joint, shrivels up that muscle there so that it doesn't go back into place. For a lot of us, that's what has to happen. Some people out there, maybe you've ministered to them, maybe you were that guy or maybe you were that gal who God has wrestled with and wrestled with and say, surrender, 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 but we will not give up our flesh. We will not stop fighting God until finally God has to touch our hips and cripple us in some way or another, has to bring us to that lowest place to where we'll give up and surrender to God. Jacob says, I'm not going anywhere until you bless me. I don't need anything else. I've sent everybody else away. All the waves of gifts have been sent. And we know from Hosea, like we just read in chapter 12, that he's weeping over this. He's broken. I had that moment. 
I had that moment when I was in the Marine Corps, 1989, July, Okinawa, Japan. I had that moment of brokenness. God had wrestled with me through a friend, Brian Spafford, who was wrestling with me with Scripture in my, uh, whatever we were living in, the barracks. And he would wrestle with me. He said, how do you know you're saved? How do you know that? Don't you know you're going to be born again? Going, I had wrestle and wrestle and wrestle, and I had an answer, and I had an answer. And I would not surrender to the Lord until that moment. It was a strange moment for me. And with weeping and brokenness, I surrendered my life to God. I surrendered to Jesus. And he's blessed me ever since. Jacob's in that place. He's in that place of weeping, in that place of brokenness. He's got a dislocated hip. He's got a, everything has been taken from him. He is in the same place, has the same amount of stuff as he had when he came across this river. But now all he has is God. He said, I'm not letting go of you until you bless me. And so he says this to him, Jesus. He says, what's your name? Seems like a, a silly question because everybody knows his name. Jacob knows his name. God knows his name. Everybody knows his name. But to say it out loud is a humbling thing for Jacob because Jacob means heel catcher, means deceiver. His whole life he's heard that. We don't think of it that way. Come here, deceiver. Come here, heel catcher. Come here, tricky. He knows that's who he is. When, J- when he says the name Jacob, it's a confession. What's your name? Who are you? Who's surrendering to me right now? Who's asking me to bless? The deceiver's asking you to bless him. That's a confession. We all got to get to this place. We all have to have this moment where we tell God exactly who we are. And only you know, and only I know who we really are. This is where you get to be blunt. This is where you get to be honest with God. And you look him right in the eye and say, God, this is who I am. And name it off. Everything that you are that maybe nobody else knows or you wish nobody else knew about you. This is who I am. I'm this. I'm that. I'm this. This is who I am. Name them all off. I'm tricky. I'm a manipulator. I'm a liar. I'm a deceiver. I'm a murderer. I'm a whatever you, whatever you are. This is your time. Wrestling with Jesus, let him know, I am surrendering all of this to you. I'm not surrendering a few wives and see if that's going to be good enough. I'm not surrendering a few kids to see if that'll be good enough. I'm not surrendering some goats to see if that'll be good enough. I'm surrendering everything that I am. Confess it to the Lord. Tell God what your sin is, what you know your sin is, what the Holy Spirit's shown you what your sin, what your sin is. Tell him. Do it tonight, if you haven't already. Jacob confesses who he is. And this is the beautiful thing about God. He says, nope, not anymore. You're not a liar. You're not a murderer. You're not a tricky guy. You're not a deceiver. You're not a manipulator. You're Israel. Israel means you're governed by God. From this point on, you're no longer those things. You are now governed by God today. That's the beauty of it. Now, after this, after he gets his new name, he gets called Jacob twice as many times as he gets called Israel. Because although there is a point in time when you surrender your life over to God, when you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you still drag that flesh around with you, and everybody knows it. And we still have those Tricky, deceiving, manipulative moments in our walk with the Lord. But as far as God's concerned, no, no, no. This is my beloved Israel. 
This is the one who's governed by me. God's asking us to let him govern our lives. Let me rule. We know from scripture that we all get a new name when we get to heaven. I don't know what that is. It says it's written on a white stone and we get a new name. I'm looking forward to hearing what God has always called me by my name as far as he's concerned. Because it isn't what I think it should be. Nope, you're no longer tricky. But from now on, I'm going to call you Israel because you've struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. He says, what's your name? He goes, why are you asking me my name? Do you not know who I am? I mean, that's the idea. You know who I am. You know who I am. In Mark chapter 8, verse 35, it says this. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Jacob wanted his life saved. That was his prayer. God, I want to save my life. I pray that you change the heart of Esau. I pray that you'd have him accept my gifts. I pray that you'd use all the plans that I set up. When it came down to it, all Jacob needed was this wrestling match with God. You want to save your life, Jacob? We got to do something here. You need to surrender your life to me. So much of the world spends their time praying and asking God to fix the problems they've gotten themselves into. That's Jacob's problem. Jacob's problem wasn't Esau's anger. It wasn't his mom's deceitfulness. It wasn't all the kids and it wasn't Laban. It was Jake. It was all Jacob. For Jacob's life to get fixed, Jacob needs to change. Jacob needs to be governed by God from here on out. So do you. So do I. Every single day I need to wake up and say, God, please help me not be Jacob today. Please let me be Israel. Would you just govern my life? Because every time Jake gets on the throne of my life and begins to make decisions and begins to lead and guide and direct the things of my life, I get into trouble and I end up praying and asking you to get me out of this stuff that I got myself into. Israel, governed by God. Every one of us needs to have that. Please, God, govern my life. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. He knew who it was. Why are you asking me my name? You know who I am. And he says, I know who you are. And I named that place, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Very few people get this opportunity. You won't get this opportunity more than likely. You won't have a wrestling match in your bedroom or on your living room floor, wherever it is that you're watching from, maybe in your car or whatever. But you will have a spiritual wrestling match with God. And if you surrender to him tonight and just say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I want to have this moment like Jacob did. I don't want to be who I am. I want to be who you want me to be. I want to be changed and transformed. I want to be born again. I surrender my life to you tonight. Right now, I give you my life, God. It's yours. Would you govern me? Would you let every decision I make be your decision? Would you help me to pray first and not after I make all of my plans? Help me to seek your face and to do what you want me to do with my life. I give it to you. Verse 31, just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun, that's the place that he, Peniel, Penuel, it's the same place. The sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip 
and the, and that, and the muscle that sh- uh, shrank up there. It's a, it's, a, it's a great tradition that he has there. The whole nation of Israel. It, it, that's why Israel has the name they have. Maybe you didn't know that, but it used to be just one guy named Jake. And his name got changed to Israel here, and a nation was birthed tonight in chapter 32. All those boys that he sent off, all those wives, they're all going to have more kids and more kids and more kids. And they're going to become the nation of Israel that we know they are today. Governed by God, or they're supposed to be anyway, governed by God. And they have this great tradition where they don't eat that part of the cow or, or goat or sheep or whatever they're eating that night. They don't touch that portion because it reminds them as they set that over there, maybe the kids are asking at the dinner table, how come we don't finish up the rest of it? They said, no, no, no. That's the part that God touched, Jacob, that changed us from being tricky deceivers to governed by God. Those are great moments for us as Christians. When we don't do something and our kids ask us, Dad, how come you don't do that? I mean, all your buddies that you grew up with in high school, they still do all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, they do. They do. But God touched that area in my life. That's shriveled up and gone. That's something that I don't ever want to get around again. In fact, when I see that, that reminds me of that moment when God changed my name from Jacob to governed by God. And I don't ever want to go there again. I want to stay governed by God. And that's where we close tonight. If you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior tonight, I hope you did. Or maybe we're reminded that you needed to be born again or governed by God, or maybe old Jake had to die tonight again. I pray that maybe you'd mention in the comments of this live chat, hey, I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. Only to say that's a great public profession of your faith. Not necessary, but it's a good way to do it. Start. But also it lets us reach out to them, maybe with a Bible, or maybe we can come alongside of you or pray for you as you grow in the Lord, and you'll need to grow. Jacob's going to need to grow after this. Jacob doesn't leave trickiness behind. He just confesses it tonight, that it's a problem. And God says, I want to heal that and change that. So you're governed by God. And sometimes Jake's governed by God and is called Israel. And sometimes Jake's governed by Jake and he's not governed by God. We want to help you with that process. We want to be there and come alongside of you as you grow. We've received a bunch of grace and mercy from God. Believe us. You'll get a lot of grace and mercy from us as well. We know who we are. We're but dust. And if there's any way this dirt ball here can help a dirt ball out there, we'd love to help you. So maybe write it in there. Hey, I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior tonight. I'm letting God govern my life from here on out. We'd, we'd love to pray with you. Let's close. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that knows no bounds whether we're physically together or whether we're meeting each other over the internet or however it may be, God, you're able to speak. Your word changes lives. And we thank you for that, God. We love you for the work that you've done in us already, for the peace that you give us. Just by going over your word, you bring peace to our hearts. Help us to wake up tomorrow and be governed by you, to leave old Jake dead to not let ourselves govern ourselves, but to wake up fresh and new and ready to serve you wholeheartedly, to be a blessing to those around us. For those that may have been in a battle, Lord, help us to be a blessing to them and minister to them any way we can, any way you show us how to.
as your servants, as your ambassadors, as your mouthpieces, your hands and your feet, Lord, help us to represent you correctly to this lost and dying world around us. To show them this good news that we've received, that your son Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That all the sins, all that trickiness, all that Jake in us was passed on to him and he took the penalty for all of those things at the cross. And all of my sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven because that wrath that was intended for me was poured out on your son. And we believe that today. We believe your word. We thank you for that. Now, Lord, not for salvation, but because we're saved, help us to live for you to not worry about our own flesh and our own desires and our own appetites, but to find out what it is you want to serve you our whole lives out of thankfulness for what you've done for us. I pray that you bless these folks, the guys that are here in this room that have been able to come alongside and, and put all this, all this together for everybody else. Thank you for them. Bless them abundantly. For all the folks that are at home watching, listening, I pray that you bless them abundantly too, Lord. Thank you for who you are and for what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.